welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today, we're going to be diving into automation because we are big advocates of working smarter, not harder. It's not because we're lazy. It's just because we think you can save time. And somebody wise once told us that the best way to elevate yourself and grow within your job or your work is to basically eliminate your work. You either need to delegate or you need to eliminate it if there's nowhere else to delegate so that you can work on more strategic things. So we want to ask you, what can you automate at your job? There's more than you realize when you really start digging into it. Did you write down repurposing content, creating templates, or buying in bulk? Because those are some of the ways that we definitely work smarter, not harder. And today we're going to walk through an entire list of ways that marketers and designers can automate their every day. So you can thank us later. Before we share those tips and tricks, we're going to go with the behind the scenes of what we're drinking because it is wine and whiteboards after all. So we know that you really want to hear about the vino. So let's just do that right now. Myself, still on H2O, still pregnant, at least for four and a half more months. So until then, I will not be drinking any wine. Maybe I'll throw in a few alcohol-free ones, but I'll leave it to you guys. What are you guys drinking? Well, this is Katie, and I am drinking Sheep Thrills Pinot Grigio. Sheep like ba sheep. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Sia song. Sheep Thrills. It's pretty good. I've had it before. It's my, my go-to for Pinot Grigio, and I would recommend. Is it from New Zealand? Is that why it's called Sheep Thrills? Like... I, don't I know. I was trying to think about where, like, why it would be called that. I was like, oh, New um, Zealand, maybe. I'm not that educated on it. We can go with that, though, if that's what you want. What's on the label? It's in the Is garbage it? already. Oh. <laughs> I'm finishing <laughs> off the bottle. I was going to say I'm Googling it, but the first thing that comes up is, like, yarn and knitting supplies. So I did not do a proper Google search yet drinking Maine and Vine, the Blood Orange Mango Wine Spritzer. These have been kind of a go-to here for me, and it's really just because I bought a four-pack, and they've been sitting in the fridge. And But they're good. They're refreshing. So that's what I have today. This is Sarah, and I finally did pick up my Wine Club subscription. So I got Vina Robles. It's a Voignier, which I don't really know what a Voignier is, but it's a white wine because obviously you can't see it. So the thing that struck me on their label is that they own and farm six certified sustainable vineyards, which I thought was kind of cool. And this one's supposed to be peach, mandarin, orange, zest, notes, and fresh ginger, which so it's a little fresh and spicy for this cold day. <laughs> I have an update on Sheep Thrills. 
It is not from New Zealand. Sorry, Charlotte. It is from Italy, and the image on the bottle, I forgot to mention, is awesome. That's why I bought it in the first place. It's a sheep coming down from, what are the things called? A parachute. (laughs) It's really cute. I think I've seen that wine label, Katie, because I feel like it's one that I would pick because of that. Yeah, I just got it at Kroger. So it's from the climate of Abruzzo in Italy. And I guess one of their founder, like, vintners is Marco. And I like this part of the description. It says, Marco is a frisky sort of sheep. Frisky. (laughs) I'm just picturing the person who was hired as the designer to do that bottle, and I'm jealous. I don't know what I think of. Like, when I think of a frisky sheep, like, all I can think of is a sheep pumping other sheep. Like, I don't know what else to envision. (laughs) Unique climate gives a wine a fruit-forward taste that's decidedly lush, refreshing, and some may even say flirty, which Marco likes. He's a frisky sort of sheep. Our Pinot Grigio has delicate floral and tropical fruit aromas that make it the go-to for all occasions and palates. Whoever wrote this, I really like them. They're a great content writer. I'm not a content writer. I don't really want to be one, but I think I aspire now to be a wine label content writer because it's short and sweet and you can be punchy and people can find it funny. And once they've had a glass or two of wine, they're going to find it extra funny. That's a very specific job. And I hope you find it one day, Sarah. I hope so too. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, dive into some automation and start talking about why you should automate. So if you take anything away from this episode, we hope you walk away knowing that automation will make you a better marketer and it will make you a better designer. So it might seem kind of obvious, but marketers don't always focus on trying to automate their day to day. So seriously, like it can save you a lot of time and why wouldn't you want to do it? I think that what has prevented me from not automating at times is because it does involve some, you have to invest some of your time in the beginning. So it might seem like an inconvenience at the time. If this is a task that you're doing manually every single day, every single week, maybe even every single month, because yeah, you might have to dedicate some time up front, but it will pay off and save you time in the end. If it's one of those tasks that every time it comes up and you're like, Ugh, I really don't feel like doing this. It's totally worth it. It's like an investment. I think sometimes we realize if we complained about the same thing five times in a row, it was like, okay, maybe we should look into automating this or finding another solution. I remember a time when we were all together in person, actually, and we had our whiteboard, and I think we started writing things on the whiteboard that were causing us like trouble, essentially, and then we figured out later if we could automate it. So that could be something that you could look into doing, writing it down, seeing if it occurs more than once. But essentially, it will save you time because in the long run, it is an investment. It's something you should invest in because you can do other initiatives if you take it off your plate. I actually forgot that we did that, like that we kind of documented everything and said these are the things that take up the most time and that we do most frequently. And what can we do to streamline it or automate it? I forgot that. We're smart sometimes. I do think that was a good exercise because we didn't, 
I, you know how sometimes when you make something a bigger deal in your head and you just kind of dismiss it because it seems too complicated? I think we had said, like, let's not overthink it just if this is something that's causing us a lot of time or, or is a challenge, let's just throw it out there because you can tap other resources. And just because you can't think of a way to automate it doesn't mean that other people on your team or maybe... I don't know, a consulting company that you would hire can't can't come up with a way to do it. So I did really enjoy that exercise now that we mention it. I would say that Google is another way too. Like if you are a one man show or don't have it in your budget to bring in a consultant, Google is going to be your best friend here in terms of finding ways to set up workflows or finding templates or things of that nature. Google will be your best friend. Did you Google it? <laughs> Guys, I actually Googled something today because someone mentioned it. They were trying to find a comparison document and they're like, I bet we could like find something out there that already compares this. So I was like, hmm, all right, I should go Google this, which I did. And I found something within a few seconds, of course. And I was like, oh, this is going to make this task so much easier. I can't just steal it, but I can take elements of it and use it to plug in for my comparison chart and adapt it to my needs and what I need for it. So Google is the answer to everything. I always feel stupid when someone asks me, did you Google it? And mainly because we tell everyone to Google it. And then when you have a moment where you forget to Google it, you're like, oh, damn, that was my bad. We're so used to it, though. I almost think of like IT when we have troubles with our laptop and then they're like, but did you restart? I'm like, no, <laughs> but obviously I should have tried that before I bugged them for help. So it's to each their own. Once it becomes a habit, it'll be easier to kind of reiterate and get used to that. I have something to add, and I don't know if I've shared this before. So I'm going to blow your mind. I actually worked at an IT desk in college. And 99% of the time when someone came up and asked a question, we would just Google it. <laughs> One of my professors approached me and was like, hey, I think it was in my information technology class. He said, hey, I'm the dean at the library. I have a job opening if you're interested in it. And he actually approached me about it. I was like, listen here, I know nothing about technology, IT, whatever. And he was like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. So sometimes you just got to Google it. Most of the time, the people that you're asking the questions don't know the answer. They're Googling it. I can appreciate that. That means nobody really has the answers. Therefore, if you think you're doing something wrong or somebody has it all figured out, they don't. Nobody has all the answers and that's okay. None of us know. Well, on that note, we did mention templates and templates are actually one of the first areas that we really worked to automate or streamline or simplify. And it starts with our PowerPoints. So Paige, I know you've done a ton of work on this and you found some really good resources that have helped you shorten the amount of time or level of effort that you put into PowerPoints. I was trying to think of why we ended up creating templates in the first place. And I think it was that I had the same type of requests from people across the company of like, okay, I need a few slides here. Could you help me with this presentation? Whatever it was, it was kind of reoccurring again. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I have other stuff that I need to be doing. A lot of these requests were last minute. So we decided, why don't we create a template? That way, at least they could try and <laughs> do it to the best of their ability. And so we created about a 30 slide template and it has, it has like slides for the titles, 
It has bullet point slides, image slides. Like I tried to really create a, a broad amount so that people could really just tailor it to what they wanted for content. It's, I think it's helped a ton. Almost every person at our company that does presentations has utilized it. And I think it's been a pretty helpful tool for the last five years. I really haven't had to update it. And it's a good way to make sure that all of your employees are following your branding guidelines too, because people will go crazy if you give them free reign. You will see all sorts of things if you don't provide a template. And Paige, I did want to add that I feel like a lot of people think that automation might think of an action that triggers another action. And a, a template is definitely automating, even though it's not done by a trigger, it's saving you a lot of time in the long run if you're having to consistently edit PowerPoints all the time, edit letterhead, edit anything that has to do like with your branding guidelines. So just because it's not a trigger doesn't mean that it's not automating. I completely agree. I, I think it's something that has helped me. I don't even know how many hours I've saved not having to do this because a template was built. And there are certain ways that you can find custom templates that you can make your own and add your own branding. We have used Envato Elements. We have a subscription with them. But if you Google, and we say Google again, if you Google it, there's a lot of different companies that sell pretty cheap templates or even free ones for PowerPoint, Google Slides, whatever you're using. And you can download them and update whatever you want. So that's been really nice. I've been able to update our fonts, our colors, imagery. Now I will say it doesn't mean that just because you provide it that everybody is going to use it or adhere to it. So there still will be an element of change management and coaching people and trying to work with people to make sure that they're using it to its fullest extent. And then if they do have to hand it over to, you know, marketing or a designer to kind of clean it up, that's okay. Like you're not expecting everybody to be a designer or have that same eye. So just know that like, if you can get yourself at least like 80% of the way there, you're going to still be saving a significant amount of time. You just have to be consistent. I think Paige, when, when you first came out with this, you probably had to send it to people a million times or point them to where it was on like the SharePoint drive or like where people could download it on the intranet and just keep reminding them of it, which I'm sure was very annoying. And I've, I feel like only probably still like 90% of people use the template. I think there's still a few people out there who go rogue every single time. And we know we're like, mm, that was not a page approved template there. They um, always make me laugh. <laughs> Sometimes cry. Well, also there's to Paige's point, we do webinars every month. And so I reuse the same template over and over again because it has a really nice structure and flow. And so that helps me organize my thoughts and how the content should work for each webinar. But then I do, I try to do my best, but I only get it like 80% there. And then I do run it by Paige because she helps change out some of the imagery and she picks better things. Sometimes she'll change up the format just so it doesn't look the same every month. And she also focuses in on some details that are easy to miss, like the animation and some of the transitions that you might, unless you play it from like slide view, you might miss some of those details. So Paige is good at cleaning that up for us. That's my favorite part to watch somebody else present and then they don't understand that they automate, like the animation, they had it in the wrong way. 
So like what was supposed to be automated fourth was coming up first. So it was coming in backwards. And I just sit there and I try not to giggle at them because I'm like, you didn't check. It means they like copied and pasted text boxes and like rearranged and shuffled things around. And you're like, oh, you didn't, you didn't do that correctly. Am I making this up? Or was there a presentation one time where someone was really thrown off with the animations and everything came like bouncing in like really slow? Or like when someone doesn't know how many bullets there are and like sometimes there's like an extra bullet or two that they weren't expecting to be there and they were expecting the transition. I feel like one time there was a really bad presentation that someone was super unprepared with. I think animation. it might have been a company meeting one. <laughs> I think the same. So it's like shown by our entire company. <laughs> <laughs> there was one time though, I had to call Paige like a minute before like a major conference we were presenting and I had forgotten to remove the animations because the person that was presenting did not want them. And they had told me that, but we had made other edits to the presentation and I didn't want to do all of that before we had made like final edits because it's always annoying to send it back to Paige like multiple times. And uh, events are just crazy, so whatever. Yeah. I remember like panicking and I accidentally called into like our support team instead of calling Paige directly. And I had like T minus like 30 seconds before they were going on and I was standing there like sweating trying to remove all of the animations. Like Paige helped me, but it was just a moment of like sheer, like always play, just always, always, always play your PowerPoint presentation from presentation mode because you don't want those oops moments to come up when you're presenting live. Also a tip too is like if you're having a template maybe just don't add animations into the template let someone individually add that into their presentation because it is like a 50-50 if people like animations or not some people get flustered by them because maybe they're not prepared maybe they weren't expecting it I don't know. And then some people love it because it helps tailor what they're saying and not kind of overshow content when they're speaking. I'm thinking about like the first time I made a presentation. I don't know when this was, maybe like middle school or something. But I feel like when we were younger, everyone loved like the crazy animations where something was like swirling in or like boinging like real slow. <laughs> oh gosh, cracks me up. I also remember people chose all the crazy backgrounds, like like backgrounds for the slides are like the rainbow gradient and like all of the crazy stuff like that was I feel, I feel like that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. My husband has to do presentations uh, like every other week because he's still in residency and he used to show me his presentations before because he's like, oh, I just, you know, I want to get a, that stamp of approval or your help. And then I would want to change them. And now he doesn't even show me. He's like, I I'm not a designer. This is a medical thing. He could have been like a standout and had the best presentations. I don't know if those people would appreciate it as much as us marketers. <laughs> so hey, you do a good job with memes. Are you telling me they wouldn't appreciate like funny memes or something like that? Because I feel like they would. I maybe actually don't laugh. I guess maybe depending on the type of medical presentation, it might not be a laughing matter. So never mind. <laughs> you have like a little staying alive meme or something on there like I don't think that would be appreciated <laughs> should we jump over to social media next okay so social media create templates this will save you a ton of time because we create socials and I mean for the wine and whiteboards podcast we post almost one or two socials a day so if I didn't have templates prepared already then I would be <laughs> really behind so create templates for that 
we use Canva actually to build our socials because it's really easy to copy and paste templates. Anyone from the team can go in and edit if they need. So that's a great way to have the same tool. Like I feel like you always see people or hear people talking about your Instagram grid or aesthetic of like your entire profile. And I feel like templates really help help you stay consistent as you're trying to build that aesthetic because I do know that when I see a profile that's kind of a little all over the place, I'm like, mm, the grid's not very pretty. I'm gonna go look <laughs> elsewhere. And like, that's a horrible thing to say, but it's, but I feel like it's true. We were talking about that on the last episode, like people judge your grid, it's just inherent. So, but like Charlotte said, if you use a template, then you're able to use the same types of fonts. If you start to go crazy and you have a different font, every single social post, people are going to notice. So if you're using sans serifs all of a sudden and you're used to having serif or script, people are going to be like, wait, where'd that come from? And imagery, we use similar imagery and branding colors. So if you have a standard four color branding system, then that's really easy in templates to reuse and repurpose. Paige, in Canva, can't you, you can export what you create in different file formats, right? Like for Instagram, for Twitter, for Facebook and things, because unfortunately a lot of them use a different size ratio for the imagery. And I feel like that's something that's really nice in Canva. Yeah. And it actually has it pre-saved. So you go in to create a new design and then it has a drop down, or you can either create a custom dimension or you have the pre-saved one. So it's like a Instagram post, Instagram um, story. There's a lot of different sizings that are already saved. It also saves, like you said, PNG, JPEG, GIF, whatever the file format you want, you're able to download it really nicely. In addition to social media, some of the other ways that we have built out some templates that have saved time and also helped individuals across the organization have consistent branding, like letterheads or stationery. And Paige, I know you usually create like one to three different versions just with for the headers and the footers just to give people some options or choice. I don't know if you have like a philosophy that you take when you do that, like whether you want like a color block or just a plane with a logo or if there's anything specific you do there. Yeah, I always recommend having about three letterhead options just because you don't know what that person is going to be using it for. And the idea is that they can take a word template and run with it without having to bug you. So I like to have different options that are maybe more prominent with your company logo or branding. So if you have a header with a punch of color, then they know it's from your company and then they can add their content below. If you want it to be more minimal, I have it in the footer and it's just a smaller scale logo, or it might be not even a full color. It might just have grayscale. So I try to have options so that you can either push your branding forward or kind of reel it in depending on what they want to, to release to a client or um, prospect. And as a designer, I actually use similar collateral from one to the next. So I don't have to start from scratch. I actually build similar things and then I can copy it from one piece to another just so it has that branding consistency in Adobe. This helps me with last minute requests. If I have a template that's already created for a two page document and I can just throw people's content in, then it's very easy just to make small minimal changes versus creating something from scratch because that can be sometimes like a four hour project that I have to work on and it derails my whole day. So I like to have those in my back pocket just in case. And then if you have more time, you can customize it or make 
completely customized design. So Paige, you do this in Word now, right? Because I think we learned, didn't we learn back in the day? I feel like you may have created something in Adobe, one of our first like RFPs that we had. And people from all over the company were sending us edits. And I was like compiling the edits because it was too confusing to give page edits from like five different emails. And no one obviously could edit it because they didn't have the Adobe design programs. That was not a streamlined process. So I think we've learned a few things. It might not be quite as fancy in Word as it's going to be in Adobe, but it does allow Paige to set up the initial like structure and design and then other people to go and make those like final minute tweaks and things that don't need to rely on Paige to make. Yeah, if you need multiple people to review or add to it, I would recommend having something that they have access to. Adobe is not something a normal person in your company outside of marketing or design will. So that's why we use Word. And for those RFPs, I remember that that God, I was at work probably until 9 p.m. because we had a strict deadline. It had to go out that day. And I, I had our old, like one of our old um, C-levels standing over my shoulder, pointing at things that he wanted changed. And I was like, back off. I was so over it at that point. I'm surprised I didn't like snap at him, but yeah, I do think it. we went and bought you a bottle of wine. Like as you were wrapping up, we were like, I feel like Paige needs wine. So we ran out to the store and got you some and brought it back to the office. Um, and I may have opened it while I was working. <laughs> who was going to stop you at that point? It's after hours. Exactly. I did want to clarify that I think we transitioned really quickly from sales collateral to the RFPs. And just to make sure people were all on the same page, we in terms of sales collateral, Paige does create those in like an Adobe program, but our RFPs are the ones that we used to do in Adobe and we've now shifted over to Word. It makes it harder to kind of customize in terms of design, but the amount of text changes and things that happen is just so much easier to do it in Word. So that's more collaborative. Okay, so some people might not know what an RFP is. Charlotte, could you explain other terms that might make more sense for people outside of marketing or people that don't do it on a frequent basis? Yeah. So an RFP is a request for proposal. So basically this is what some sort of company or prospect will put out when they're looking for a specific service or product. Different companies will respond to the RFP and explain why their product or service is what this company should choose their support models, a lot of them go really in depth. And then the company that put out the request for proposal will take it internally and review. They usually create a short list of companies that they, that made it to the top of the list. And then they usually bring them in for like interviews or sales demos, and then they pick a winner. It's sometimes like 40 page documents. So they get really long. Another reason to put it in Word so other people can edit, not me. Exactly. Another reason to automate this and have a template so that you don't have to start from scratch every single time. So now that we talked templates, we're going to jump over to another automation area, which is websites. I am our website guru, I guess, for the team. Charlotte used to take this over, so she knows the pain that can come with websites. I do. I swear off websites. (laughs) So since we had a lot of pain with custom websites, we built all our, they, we built our websites probably from HTML, scratch, custom builds before this. 
And we just found that it was just not easy to work with. It caused us a lot of headaches. There was a lot of broken code. So when we needed to go in and edit even just text, it was like a three hour headache. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it better. We decided at one point it wasn't working. We needed to create our website again. So we used themes and themes is probably the biggest automation I can say for websites. We can download one for $15 all the way up to hundred plus. I think the one we currently use is maybe $30 I paid for it. And it has a huge amount of elements that I can customize. It's called the gem. If you're interested, we downloaded it with Envato elements. The idea here is that you want to purchase a pre-made template that you can customize. You'll download that template instead of starting from scratch, and then you can customize all of your branding. So you can really make it your own without having to use code because honestly, who knows code anymore? <laughs> not me. I am not a developer. So this was a great way for me to get in there and automate, but also customize at the same time. And we do have an episode fully dedicated to websites. So if you'd like to hear more about this, I would highly recommend checking back to listen to that episode. Yep, for sure. So I won't jump into all the details with websites, but I will give two automation uh, tools that I would recommend looking into after this. And the first one is copy and paste. It's a plugin with WordPress. If you don't use WordPress, look into other plugins that your user interface will work with. This allows us to copy and paste things from one page to another, and it removes the need for me to create something from scratch because I have a lot of similar elements on every page of our website. And if I had to create those one after the next, it would just add a lot more time onto my plate. We have a 15 page website and if I can copy and paste it 15 times instead of rebuilding it 15 times. Hell yeah, I'm going to do that. So that's been a really nice automation. Another one is Yoast Premium. Upgrade to that. Do not use the free version if you can help it. It's not expensive to upgrade. SEO is a huge part of getting someone to your website. And if you can increase that rating instead of being on page 100 to page 123, you're going to get a lot more traction and traffic to your website. So that's something that Yoast Premium helps. It also helps with internal linking, which if you don't know what that is, it essentially just helps you link from one page to another on your website. And that helps with SEO just because it's another touch point that people can be referred to. You want people to stay on your page essentially. So if you can get that, great. And the big thing when you upgrade or change your website is you will have a lot of outdated URLs. And so this is something that's helped us too because you don't want someone to go to a 404 page and get really flustered and just don't even want to come back to your website. Yoast Premium has redirect as a option and it actually recommends things too that you didn't even think were outdated. That's probably one of my favorite ones too because I remember when we switched over our website and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have a hundred outdated URLs that I have to redirect one by one. This helped me a lot. So there's that. I'm still laughing at in our outline. It says HTML EU, which all I can think about is now <laughs> that I'm watching Schitt's Creek. It's like, ew, David. The last thing I wanted to add about the websites was when Paige was talking about the gem theme, not only do you get different, not only do you just get a theme, but you get so many options. You can have different pages 
with different layouts. So it's definitely not cookie cutter, even though it's a theme. And then speaking of cookie cutter, but in a different way, we do use a lot of the same content over and over by repurposing any type of blog posts or webinars or things that we create. This is probably my favorite way that we do automation in our content cycle. And we actually do have a full episode on our content cycle. I believe it's episode five, ladies. You don't wanna have to reinvent the wheel every single time you have a good webinar, have a good blog post, et cetera. We will walk you through all the ways you can make your content come full circle. I will say this is the first year where I feel like we're finally getting on top of the content cycle. I mean, I'm saying this and it's only February, so it obviously can get derailed very quickly. But I feel like I've kind of been like 2020 is just going to burn an H-E-L-L and we're just going to move forward with whatever we didn't do back in 2020. We're not doing. We're done. We're moving forward to 2021. And so the blog post that we're having our content writer work on first are actually feeding into a webinar for March, believe it or not, which I don't know, it's only February. So to me, that sounds like a month and a half ahead of schedule, which <laughs> <It just> never <laughs> happens. So I'm laughing about it. But she's going to work, she's working on an interview, which then she's turning into multiple blog posts. And then we're going to turn those blog posts into a webinar. So it can kind of go full circle with our content cycle. Well, and then we typically take the blog posts or the webinars and we put those into our blog Nurture Digest, which goes out like every two weeks. And so it's getting more traction there. So it really does complete this full circle when it happens. I'm quite excited about it and I hope that we can maintain this momentum. I know we've done an entire podcast episode about this, but where we dive into the details of how we repurpose our content if you are doing any type of speaking engagement or webinar or anything that has been created where there's audio, if you haven't already built out blog posts or other types of perhaps written content using that information, you can get your webinars and videos transcribed and then provide that transcription to your copywriter or if you're writing it, it just makes it easier to create an entire blog post because it does give you structure because normally people speak in a way that flows and makes sense. So it does add a good a good flow to your blog posts. We actually just did this. We put on a conference and so we commissioned a few blog posts that then, then turned into a session at the conference. Then we were able to resubmit that submission to future conferences. So we're actually going to be speaking on the same topic at an upcoming conference. We went from blog posts to a session at a conference we put on, and now we've actually used it to submit for a future speaking engagement. And then we also did some blog posts based on an interview. We did a webinar, we got the webinar transcribed, and from those transcriptions, we were able to create like a demo campaign that we're about to send out soon. And it kind of had to do with how we sell our product and our services. She used some of that material and the actual transcription to create the emails. And we're going to be sending those out soon. So it's kind of exciting to use it in that many different ways and to see it keep coming to life and fruition. And it's probably things that then I should be sending to Paige to help put on our social because I think it could be something to use there when you guys repurpose content and saving money because I don't know how much our blog writer charges but 
that money is getting allocated from a blog post to then a webinar and then social and then a, a proposal for a speaking submission like it's being used a lot more so those dollars are getting stretched and you're not having to recreate something and pay more money so when you're in a smaller budget this is a really good tool for you to use and actually get in that like i don't know that mindset it'll save you so much in the long run then when you break it down even more page if we're doing socials you can get multiple socials and quotes and i mean if you're getting four to five or six even social posts out of a single blog post that even stretches that budget that much further which is pretty crazy and Sarah was mentioning transcriptions. Those help a lot with socials because I can sit there and write our socials for wine and whiteboards from scratch, or I can pull from our transcriptions on our episodes, which one's going to save me more time <laughs> if you think about it. And I'm going to be able to get the voices of everyone on our team when I pull those transcriptions versus just whatever's in my head. And most of the time, I'm not as funny in my head as I think I am. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be a lot better when it's written down from that. So I pull those a lot. I put them in our socials. It helps me build things in bulk because when I work on our socials, I try and plan about a month out. And I do that with Planoli. And we've talked about this before, but I use them because I can get our feed ready to go, have everything set, the content is saved, hashtags are there, and it'll actually auto post for us if I schedule it. So it'll auto post to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. We've also used Hootsuite too. I mentioned in our last episode that I used it because Planali doesn't auto post to LinkedIn, but for some reason Hootsuite does. But Hootsuite doesn't auto post to Instagram. But also quick shout out to Focus Forward and Rev.com and Descript, which are what we've used for all of our transcriptions. We used to use Focus Forward. We've we switched to Rev.com because you could actually take the link of your YouTube videos and plug it into the portal and it would automatically transcribe. They also have a person who reviews it or does it, so it's highly accurate. Descript is our budget tool that we can afford on our own, and that one is not quite as accurate, hence sommeliers become smelliers and whatever <laughs> else. I should I should start pulling out all the funny ones from the transcription because some days I'm just like, what were we saying? We should we should run a campaign for Descript and like we should add to our social posts like Descript like snafus or something like funny and just post all the wrong ones that it gets. Did I tell you guys in one of our previous episodes where I was talking about my Bonobo Bordeaux, how it's just like BDX, how Descript made it BDSL? Whoops. <laughs> to be fair, Descript is an AI like program like artificial intelligence versus rev.com we were paying for a person so obviously there was a huge difference there in understanding what people are saying <laughs> when you gotta get scrappy you got some issues with this type of stuff on the topic of tools there's another one that we've used to help us repurpose our content called headliner so this one allows us to repurpose con audio content from podcasts or webinars into these digestible sound bites that you can use on social media or you can link them in emails. Headliner videos have been really helpful for us because I can choose any episode we posted online and I can pick the 30 seconds that I want to be so posted on social because Instagram limits us to 30 seconds, wish it was more. But 
I can do that. And it actually pulls the transcription too. And we found that videos are actually what people want to listen to or watch because people don't read anymore. That's just how it is. So if you can get away with using more videos or at least testing videos, definitely recommend because I don't know about you. We're, we have goldfish brains. Like people just want entertainment and they have 30 seconds of your time or else they're gone. So we've used those a lot as promos for our episodes. One last thing on transcription. I feel like, I think Paige already covered this, but you can definitely take what people said and it is a lot funnier than when you try to write something. Like, have you ever tried to sit down and write something funny and nothing comes to mind? I was trying to write a description of our podcast earlier today and I just like could not think of what to write but then I went and listened to our episode or read the transcription and I was like oh that's what we said and then I was able to pick little nuggets out of that and use it for the actual description I feel like it just like releases writer's block let's definitely continue with the technology because I think there's a few other hacks that we've either learn no things that we've learned along the way from whether it's been difficulties or just our need to automate in order to save ourselves time and resources the first one that we wanted to cover was crms so this would be a customer relationship management system and if you don't have one this is where you would keep like a database of prospects and where you would track how those relationships are managed and opportunities and sales information. And basically it's like endless. We use Salesforce and we have set up a HubSpot account before too to use for wine and whiteboards. But we definitely recommend in order to save yourself time in the long run, hire somebody whether it's a consultant or some sort of specialist to customize your CRM and get it set up in the way that's going to work best for you. Because as you get more sophisticated as a business or as you try to streamline other things, if this isn't set up right from the beginning, it is going to be painful along the way. You'll run into obstacles and roadblocks. We've had to do this backwards because we inherited a messy database. So we had to retroactively hire a consultant to help us clean it up. And it's just been a lot harder process. It's still ongoing. And I think we started this like five years ago. So if that tells you anything, set it up right from the beginning and you won't have to go through all of that. And so since we inherited this and this was before our time, I wholeheartedly believe that when you are going to spend a lot of money technology, whether it be a CRM or something else that you're going to invest a lot of money in, that you should take the time to understand how it really works and everything that that technology has to offer. When you're purchasing technology, you might be trying to fill like a gap or two or I don't know, one specific item that you're looking to improve. But a lot of times those platforms have other features that you can leverage that might help you in other areas of your business or might help you in ways that you weren't planning to leverage that system. So I feel like with this consultant that customized Salesforce for us the way that we need to use it, we're probably... I still don't think we're leveraging it to like its fullest potential, but I think it probably helped us in areas of our business that we weren't expecting it to and maybe cross-functionally in ways that we weren't expecting it to. The cool thing about Salesforce and Pardot is that Pardot was bought by Salesforce, so they're very much integrated and tied together. So when you create a campaign in Salesforce, 
you can go find that campaign in Pardot, which is our marketing automation system. You have to understand what you're trying to do, and then you have to think about it strategically so that you're using Salesforce and Pardot to help you achieve those goals in a more efficient manner. Because if you're relying on a single person to go check boxes or manually add people to a list, it's probably not going to work as well as you think. People forget. I forget. Oh, elephants no. forget. <laughs> well, did you say elephants never forget? Yeah, the elephants never forget, so never mind. <laughs> Um, well, one of the other ways I think that we've automated some things leveraging Parda is not necessarily with the integration of the technology, but coming up with a consistent training and onboarding campaign for new clients. We work for a company whose solution is very configured and customized to a specific client. So no onboarding experience looks exactly the same. And therefore, no training or onboarding campaign looks exactly the same, but we have gotten to a point where we've kind of standardized it and it's more plug and play. So definitely looking at how you can automate things within the tools that you're using to help you automate in the first place. Make sure you're looking for those opportunities. We also even have it set up on our website. Paige will put in a form from Pardot. So if someone fills out the form, you can decide who gets notified on either the sales or the marketing team. And they also will receive an email that lets them know someone will be reaching out. So that buys you typically a day or two of time before the salesperson or the marketing person follows up with them. But that just makes sure that they have a better experience and they know what to expect. And if you want to take it a step further in that automated email that they get after they submit the form, I believe we have a Calendly link to our growth consultants where you can schedule your own demo of the platform. We automated a process to ensure our prospects don't get overloaded with our emails. So before we send a mass list email, there's a certain list or automation rule we created where if they received an email within one business day, they will not receive the next email. And that just helps to make sure that people aren't receiving emails back to back because I don't think that's a good experience. I know whenever I've personally received emails from companies a day apart or every day, it does not feel very legitimate to me. It doesn't feel very personal. No person would follow up with you every single day. That just isn't how the world works. So it feels very automated and spammy. So to try to retroactively, I don't know, cancel that out, we have an automation rule that doesn't allow us to send to certain people if they've received an email within a certain amount of time. Which obviously helps us with unsubscribes because if I was getting an email every single day, I would unsubscribe. I do unsubscribe. And you might wonder how that happens, but it's because we'll have like a blog nurture going on. We'll be um, sending out registrations for webinars or other upcoming events, or we'll have a, like a demo campaign. So unfortunately, there are typically multiple campaigns running at once. And so it does make it hard to cross-check all of those lists at one time and make sure that you're not overlapping or sending to too many people on the same day. I did want to add for Salesforce, while we were talking about CRMs, that we are able to, and we do take advantage of automating reports to your email inbox. So even though it doesn't seem like a lot, 
going into your account and looking up a report, it doesn't really take that long, but if something's automated and coming to your inbox that you're checking 20 times a day anyways, it's super, super convenient. And especially if you have to report up the ladder to someone else, it's really easy for you to be able to review that, make your comments, and then forward it on to whoever you owe your uh, weekly, monthly report. Cloud Dingo is something we use to remove duplicates from our database. I think there's also another company called like Magic Robot that might have been a little cheaper than Cloud Dingo that was helping with some of the deduping process. So there are a lot of tools out there that can help you with automation so that you don't have to do everything manually. And one more is actually Cause IQ that helped us look up some of the 990 information for organizations so we can know like their full financial picture. And they have a lot more details in the report. I was able to connect it to Salesforce. So now with the push of a button, I can go through and update the fields in our Salesforce account so that it pulls the most accurate financial data and any other fields that I've connected. So there, it does take a lot of time up front to go connect all of this. But then in the end, when I just have to go push a button, that's pretty amazing in my mind. It, it was taking us hours. Like I feel like at one point- I mean, if you have 500 organizations, yeah, like if you have 500 organizations or more to go through and update all the financial information, I mean, I don't have full days that I can just dedicate to doing that. So that would be spread out over a month period of time just to get that updated. And I would be lucky to get it done in that amount of time. And Cause IQ may not be the right database for you, but there are probably equivalent, since that specifically serves a certain industry. However, guarantee there are options out there for your industry that you work in to gather this type of data. So when you are searching for databases to, you know, do prospecting, data gathering, check and see if they have any type of integration that will connect to your CRM so that you can do an easy import um, of the data versus handling it all manually. So if we move into events, one of probably the best things I have ever discovered I don't know. I have trouble like thinking of anything else that has helped automate something as much as this. But when we attend an event, we get an attendee list. And a lot of times I need to check that with our database because I need to know if they're qualified prospects. And back in the day, I used to manually do this. So I would hand check and go look at an organization on the attendee list, type it into our database, check and see if they were in there. And if they were, then check and see if they were marked as qualified or not. And Sometimes there could be only a couple hundred people on the attendee list, or there could be like 5,000 people, which I just don't have that amount of time to dedicate to that. Someone in our finance and accounting team taught me about Fuzzy Lookup. It allows you, essentially for us, when you get an attendee list, people just plug in whatever their organization name is. And a lot of times our organizations that we work with have acronyms. So you might not always find it in our database. This allows you to do a comparison, but it doesn't have to be an exact match. Normally in Excel, you can find things that are the same, but only if they're 100% match. Fuzzy Lookup allows you to do between 0% to 100% match. So it could just have part of the acronym, part of the word. You can set the parameters to be whatever you want, so it can be more accurate or less accurate. And that allows me to see if any of the prospects attending the event are qualified. It's much more technical. I've tried to do little recordings and trainings for other people on it, but it saved me a lot of time in the end. 
I feel like that's one just to give people like an idea. So if I was looking for Katie's name in a database, like Katie Carson, like if I was looking for a hundred percent match, you would set it at a hundred. But like, if you set it at 90, you might be able, you'll catch it if there's a spelling error or something in the name. And then if you keep knocking it down, you could probably find like Catherine Carson, even though I know you're not a Catherine. So just to give like an example of the different variables that you are able to put into fuzzy lookup. Sarah, I remember you taught me how to use it when we were back in the office, I don't know, like a year ago, whatever that was. You did teach me how to use it and it was super helpful. Occasionally it will come back with zero results and you're like, that's not right. So (laughs) (laughs) try again, reach out to us. If you really want help, we will get into the gritty with you. Another thing is we connected Eventbrite with our Salesforce, and that allowed us to see if people registered for an event and then automatically add them to a campaign and mark whether they've attended or not. We have to keep track of whether people have earned credits. This helps us keep track of that so that we can send the proper certifications of whether they attended the webinar, attended the event. Before, that was not automated, and that was a huge pain in my arse. I'm sorry, I've been saying the word arse a lot. I don't know if that counts as a bad word or not, but I also find it very funny. Yes, I was not expecting that. That was so funny. I don't know. If oh this my works. gosh. Mark us down if you have to. <laughs> what does it mean? Ass. Ass. Oh, you're saying it's not the in my arse. I've been watching a lot of Bridgerton. Sorry. <laughs> so. So now that we know that not having the Eventbrite and Pardot integration was a pain in Sarah's arse, (laughs) it definitely was. I do remember this because you have to manually download the list, separate them, and then upload them. And like it's just kind of a nightmare. So that definitely, definitely helps. But in addition, we do have some other integrations that we've used. We've also used Zoom and Pardot which is used for our webinars. So Sarah, I know you work really, really closely with that one. Yeah, we've done a few different things. There's Zapier. If you haven't heard of Zapier, Zapier is like this overall integration tool and it lets you connect two different things together. I think Zoom and Pardot might have an integration now, but back in the day, I feel like we had to use Zapier to go from one to the other. Zoom webinars allow you to charge for them. They have certain features, but Zoom meetings, you can't charge for them. And we use meetings for our events because that allows you to use breakout rooms, which they unfortunately don't have available in webinars. So I feel like Zoom and Parta integrations were kind of like our own like hack or workaround to try to be able to charge for meetings instead of webinars and not just being able to go directly through Zoom. And we also do this Asana and Outlook integration where if you have an email that comes in through Outlook, you can then forward it to Asana so that you can quickly create a task. And then Zapier is what we use to connect Eventbrite and Salesforce together for that, for like those campaign integrations that I talked about where it'll mark your attendee as having attended or not attended so you can keep track of that. You can connect a lot of different things together. What is it that you have to type for the Asana email or for the Outlook email to create an Asana task? It's x at mail.asana.com. So if you're someone that basically uses your email inbox as a task manager, then Mm -hmm. it will save all that content for you and put it into the task so that you can go ahead and like file your email to keep your inbox clean if you're one of those people like me. 
I know that there's some people on this team that do not keep their inbox clean. No. It's not like Paige and I don't delete all my messages. I'm just kidding. Although I just sent Charlotte like the spammiest looking email because I was like, X at mail.asana.com. If you see it, it was not, it is really from me. <laughs> I'm going to report it to IT. Flag this as spam, please. Um, my point is you can use Zapier to connect almost anything together. We should probably wrap up and do our key takeaways for the episode so our listeners know the top handful of things they should take away from this. Paige, do you want to kick it off? Yep, I can kick it off. You guys have been talking for a while. I did my talking at the beginning of this episode, so I'll say it again. Invest time in creating design templates. This is going to help you from recreating the wheel and maintain branding consistency across all platforms. No matter if you're doing PowerPoint, Word, social media, whatever it is, templates will help you in the long run. Number two is use website themes. So don't bother starting a website from scratch. You don't need to redo all that design that other people have already built for you. Themes are very flexible and they're extremely easy to customize so that your site does look unique from other sites. Just because you're using a template doesn't mean it's a cookie cutter. And number three, search for helpful website plugins to reduce workload and increase traffic to your website. Number four is find ways to repurpose your marketing content. A blog post can be turned into a webinar, a speaking proposal, social, the options are basically endless. Number five, get to know your technology and try to use it to its fullest potential. Hire a specialist to help you customize and find technology you can integrate. I love that one because I feel like a lot of times you already have the technology or you already have options that are available to you and you really just need to figure out how to repurpose it for something else. Also, I know we just spent a lot of time talking about, but really look into Zapier because Zaps help you connect two pieces of technology together and normally a layman can do it. <laughs> I love your vocabulary today. Oh my gosh. And number six is Google it. We guarantee that you'll always find a way to automate or eliminate certain steps or find tools and templates that can help you scale yourself. I think at the beginning of the episode, you heard us Google it a few times, and it's definitely something we encourage because even though there is no such thing as a stupid question, there are stupid questions. And last but not least, we're going to give you homework after this episode so you don't get to walk away and not have anything to do. Our call to action for you is to write down three things that you can automate at your nine to five, freelance, whatever it is you do to feed yourself. Write down three things that you can automate. I promise you won't regret it and actually take action on it. And on that note, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening for this episode or to this episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Clearly, I've had too much and I need to go to bed. <laughs> on that note, cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whitebirds Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.